She knows everything. <laughs> She's absolutely amazing with some of the questions we get. How she finds the answers is, is magic. It's mystery and it's magic. Uh, we also publish a quarterly uh, magazine, and there are some free samples back there for you. In the magazine, you'll find reviews of recently published books uh, that have been written by Ohioans or about
Patricia was born in the West Indies. She was raised in New York City. She now lives in Columbus with her husband. Um, by day, she's a public information officer with the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. And at night, she writes sensual uh, romance suspicion plots. You won't give us any sec any peeks in your second. Not unless you ask me to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ran out of I ran out of the house this morning and I left a lot of stuff behind, including my cover flap for my second book. And I'm I'm just embarrassed. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, no problem. No problem. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to Patricia Sargent. With you belong to me. Oh, thank you very much. First, I'd like to thank Donna and Linda for inviting me to join you. This is going to be a really wonderful memory for me, and I appreciate everybody coming out in the cold snow to, to share in this experience with me, especially my critique partner, Marsha James. <laughs> appreciate the support. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, before I get started, I wanted to t give you a little bit of background into how I got started writing. When I was in elementary school, I have an older sister. She has a strong personality. And when I was in elementary school, every weekend it was a treat for her to take me to the library. And you know, your older sister, your older sibling, you want to kind of emulate them. So she would take me to the library and I would pretend to have a great time. And she would take out an armload of books and I'd grab one or two. And then the next week we'd go back to the library and I would just return the books. <laughs> that, was, that was the whole plot get the books out, leave them on the nightstand, go back to the library the next week and return them unread. Well, this one day she turns to me and she says, did you read that book? <laughs> so I smiled at her and I said, no. And she said, she looked at me with such a look of disappointment and sorrow that I didn't enjoy the experience as much as she did, that I rechecked out the book and I read it on Black Hearts and Battersea by Jane Aiken. Did you read that book? It was a great book. You know what I'm talking about then. I, I devoured that book. I couldn't put it down. It was such a great story. And when I was done reading it, I thought, I want to give to other people the joy that I got out of that book. And that's when I decided that I wanted to write fiction when I grew up. So uh, that's how I got started writing. And this is my, my first book. It's a romantic suspense that reunites a divorced couple in a race to unmask a serial killer. I write in what my husband calls the murder-death-kill genre. And I'll read the back cover copy for you. Sometimes your biggest fan can be your worst nightmare. Nicole, writer Nicole Collins is delighted when she learns her first book will be made into a movie by Celestial Productions until she finds out who owns the company, Malcolm Bryant, her ex-husband. Nicole still loves him, but she knows Malcolm is still the same man who crumbles in the face of adversity and then there are those threatening letters. Somewhere out there is a deranged fan, one who has adopted Nicole's characters as his own family, and he's not about to see his loved ones distorted by the camera lens. Once Malcolm's business partner is mysteriously killed, Nicole realizes this is no movie script. Her life is now in danger. With a demented fan turned killer closing in, the only person who may be able to save Nicole is Malcolm, the man she so desperately hopes will finally make a stand. Okay. And it'll be my great pleasure to read this scene for you. It's, um, Malcolm has finally convinced Nicole to um, give him, sell his company, the, the movie rights to her book. And now he's trying to convince her to stop being quite so hostile toward him. So he, sh he shows up at her apartment in New York with breakfast, coffee and bagels. 
And he's trying to get her to let him into her um, apartment and back into her life. And just so that you understand this scene, Nicole really digs plants. So she has plants all over the window area in, in her apartment. And since I don't do voices very well, I'll just pause in between the dialogue and the narrative so you don't get too confused. Okay. So, can I interest you in breakfast? Malcolm asked again, lifting the bag and the drink carrier. I've already had breakfast. Nicole wanted to stand her ground, but her stubbornness waved in the face of coffee. It's only 8 o'clock, Malcolm said, walking past her kitchen into an area she magnanimously referred to as her dining room. Nicole followed him, feeling slightly put out. I've been up since six. Malcolm paused in front of her dinette table, a furniture discount store triumph. On a Saturday? Nicole smiled at his incredulous tone. I'm a writer. We don't restrict our work to eight to five weekdays. We write whenever the muse strikes us. And this one struck at six? How rude. Malcolm put the bag and carrier on the table and shrugged out of his coat. His eyes widened as he gazed toward the window. Wow, are you zoned for this parkland? He stepped closer to the foliage. Very funny, she said. Trailing after him, Nicole tried to view her plant menagerie through his eyes. She supposed it could be a bit overwhelming. Do you still name your plants after comic book heroes? He turned toward her. The warmth of his brown eyes beckoned her into their shared memories. But she refused the call. No, I name them after heroines now. I don't have much experience with heroes. Malcolm's gaze cooled, and he turned, toward, he turned back to the plants. He nodded toward a ficus in the corner. Isn't that Superman? No, she replied, surprised he'd remembered she'd had a ficus. That's Superwoman. The Man of Steel didn't survive the move. She thought, I barely survived it myself. And who are these beauties? Amusement tinged Malcolm's voice as he pointed to a clique of potted plants on top of a waist-high bookcase. Gesturing toward each plant in turn, Nicole identified them. The dwarf Nikita is Harley Quinn. She's the Joker's girlfriend, remember? Nicole waited for Malcolm's nod before continuing. The cactus is Catwoman, and the miniature Dendrobium orchid is Poison Ivy. Malcolm frowned. Aren't those Batman's villains? Nicole flicked him a chiding glance. They aren't bad, she explained, returning to the dining room. They're misunderstood. Thanks for letting me read the scene. Do you have any questions or? No. <laughs> this is taped for prosperity. <laughs> um, that's really all that I have to say. Do you have any questions or? Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Shades of Romance is a multicultural internet writers group. And it's, um, it's more geared toward readers and aspiring authors um, just to promote your writing and to learn about writing. But it's, it's geared more toward multicultural authors. And, um, I just want to say this, this one quick thing about writing. Some people, they prefer to get the stories out themselves and just work on it as a, a solo um, project. And some people, like Marcia and I, we prefer to have input from other people to make sure that what, what's in our heads is actually getting onto the paper. Uh, when, when I wrote this story, uh, most of my stories are prompted by the question, what if? So with this question, it was what if you were given a second chance for a happily ever after with your true soulmate? What changes would you make in yourself and in your life to make that happily ever after a reality? And the, the other thing for this story is, is sacrifice. What, and, and family, what would you be willing to sacrifice so that the people you really care about, your family members, your friends, could be safe? The reason that Nicole, Nicole does not want to sell the movie rights to her book, but because her cousin 
is in a life or death situation with um, the need for a kidney transplant. And they don't have any money. She doesn't have health insurance, which is a big pet peeve of mine. We'll discuss that in another forum. <laughs> um, her family has to get together to raise money for the operation. And that's when she decides that she will sell the movie rights, but she doesn't want them to change her story. So part of the contract is that the production company will work with her to make sure that her book is translated accurately on the film. And one of the things that sparked that idea was Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. I don't know if you guys read the book and then saw the movie, but that just wasn't right, what they did when they translated his book. It's so different. The movie was so different from the book, it really disappointed me. And that's where the idea for the deranged fan came from. not been lucky enough to have my movie, uh, my book. No, I mean your, no. Oh, your editor. Your book oh. itself. When you submit that, right. your editor change things? Okay. So, <laughs> you're still bitter about the title, aren't you? <laughs> when, when I was lucky enough that they didn't make a lot of changes to my actual manuscript, I was panicking in ways that I cannot describe to you because I was told I was going to get my page proofs way earlier than what I, what I got. And my editor called and said, well, we, I'll have your changes out to you. And I'm thinking, well, I have a full-time job. I have this amount of time to make this amount of changes. But when I got the, the page proofs in, in the mail, it was just line edits. There weren't, the only changes that were made were the ones that I wanted to make this, this story stronger. So I was very lucky with this one. But, um... <laughs> oh, but that was you! I didn't like your other name, but they changed it. No, no, I changed it. Before I submitted it, I, I changed the name. Sometimes you have to. You have to. The first name was Monique, but it was spelled really weirdly. It came to me in a dream, and sometimes you just can't follow all of your <laughs> dreams because they don't make any sense. But I, another agent who had offered me representation said, well, it's weird, it's, it's confusing to have Monique and Malcolm. It's better if you have, your main characters have two different first letters. So I thought, well, I'm not that married to Monique. I'll just, I am married to Malcolm, though. So I'll just change. <laughs> Monique to Nicole, and we'll call it a day. So that's, and the book, when it first started, it was Back in Love, because I really liked that, that song. Um, but it didn't seem to, to work for the theme, so I changed Back in Love to Family Matters. But that didn't sound like, yeah, yes. that, that's another title. That's my title. But then it didn't, it didn't, Family Matters doesn't sound like Murder, Death, Kill. So I changed it to alternate endings, thinking that sounded a bit more dramatic. But the publisher didn't like it because it didn't sound sexy enough. So they changed it to You Belong to Me, and Marsha and my family are still kind of disappointed about that. Yeah, the cover. Yeah, the cover. Sorry about the bend in it. This is, this is my travel copy. Yeah, there's a shadow in, a ba in the background for the stalker thing. I was really thrilled about that. Well, <laughs> okay, now we'll hear from Justine Whitman. Justine is a native Pardon me? Justine is a native Ohioan. She grew up in northern Ohio, where she's used to this kind of snow. When I called to ask this morning if everything was okay, she said, Oh yeah, we were out of power for twenty hours. But you know, it's no problem. Huh? I'll be here. Just because we live in the top of the hill and <laughs> 
transformer. Okay, transformer kept getting waves yet. up there. <laughs> so she's a, a brave soul. Um, she graduated from Northfield Macedonia High School. She earned a Bachelor's of Science in Journalism from Ohio University. She always suspected that fiction writing would be a lot more fun than fact writing. But um, that was her degree in journalism. She worked in radio, edited a regional magazine, toiled as a secretary, wrote letters for students for a corresponding school. She's done um, freelance writing. She's taught professional development and worked uh, in job placement for a business college, and in addition to uh, stints in public relations. Now, in her spare time, she raised children. And if you get a chance at the end, ask her about her daughter, um, <laughs> who had several careers. Um, and she's taught swimming. Justine began writing books, mostly romances, uh, with mystery, and ro mostly romances with a mystery, because they had happy endings. And that was much more fun. Avalon Books published her first four books, three romances, Night Words, Courting Kathy, and a mystery hidden legacy. Five Star Expressions brought out <coughs> her two Victorian uh, romantic suspense uh, stories, Cleo the Spy and Shocking Miss Shaw, and then Family Matters, a contemporary story that won the 2004 National Reader's Choice Award for Best Romance. All three of Five Star's books are now e-books uh, with Belgrade House. She's working on her 15th manuscript, a romantic suspense which takes place in a fictional Ohio town, not unlike the place she calls home, Lancaster, Ohio, and Fairfield County. And um, because we were taping, um, Justine had said she was going to read from Be Mine, which has the Ohio flavor. It's Valentine's. Be mine. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go buy a, a, one of those bags of, that, of the little cart to uh -huh. the be mine. Be mine. Yeah. Out. Right. But I didn't have a chance with the family emergency. So, yes. be mine. Justine will share with us. Uh, like Patricia, I'm a member of Central Ohio Fiction Writers and Romance Writers of America. I'm also a member of Novelist Inc., which Patricia's going to join as soon as her second book comes out. <laughs> and Marcia will join as soon as her second book goes out. You have to have two. <laughs> and Novelist Inc. is a, it's a wonderful organization um, of writers with two books or more in print, and it's generic. Uh, they're all fiction, but we have science fiction, we have uh, paranormal, we have mystery writers, we have... Uh, men and women, <laughs> more men are members of Novelist Inc. than, than Romance Writers of America. Uh, and they had this wonderful link, and now I can tell you the story about the publisher who changed a book. I was listening to Patricia, <laughs> you know, because she didn't have that experience. A very, very successful writer who shall remain no, nameless um, wrote a book, and the publisher said, we're in a hurry, but we'll just do the copy edits, and, you know, don't worry. And the book came out, and the child in the book was now a dog. Because they felt there were overtones. She said, I never figured out what overtones they were. But, but people share things like that on Minklink. And, and there's some, there some wonderful stories out there of editors who have just gone berserk uh, tackling people's work. And some people run into this. I've been very lucky uh, with, with the editors I've had. They've just been. Uh, extremely supportive and, and very helpful and very few changes. Um, but, you know, things change and those editors are both, have both moved on, which is why I'm looking for another publishing company now. <laughs> uh, and it, publishing is, is it not a business for cowards. Uh, you have to be able to take rejection, no matter what you write, and you have to be able to take criticism, um, and disappointment. You know, it, uh, I, again, I think like a writer told a story about when they started out, they had two rejections 
in the mailbox in the morning and in the afternoon, another one came by UPS. <laughs> and, and that's very sad. And it's not a good day and you eat chocolate. And then you bundle them up and send them out someplace else the next day if you're, if you're feeling really brave and can get to the post office. Um, but it's fun. And, and the people, uh, Marsha, Patricia, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. The other, the other writers are just wonderful fun. And in, in so many areas, uh, they're very supportive. And uh, everyone writes in so many different areas. We picked Joseph's brain back here because he's into the Zuni culture and the language. Um, and we got his, his email address in case anyone thought they might want to use it for, you know, resources. We're always looking for resources for interesting things that, that we can utilize. Um, all my books have had a mystery except Be Mine, which began as a conflict. Uh, my husband sold heavy equipment through southeastern Ohio, and some of these people were doing some beautiful reclamation work, and anyone who's been to the wilds, of course, knows what, what can be done. Uh, but there are always bleeding hearts. My heroine is a bleeding heart, and she gets a job with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources as a mining inspector. And the wonderful thing was, when I wanted information about the technicalities of the laws, I called them and said, gee, I was writing this piece of fiction, and, and could I have some information? Oh, yes. Well, two days later, I had to stack. I got the entire set of all. And you know, it was, it was it kind of tough reading. <laughs> but, but with research for writing, you, you get what you want out of something, and then you just let the rest of that stuff rest. <laughs> and it's fiction. You just want to work around a framework of fact. Um, that's the nice thing about fiction. Uh, you're flexible, and you can even put a disclaimer in the front if you want, if you, you know, if you're, if you're real worried. But uh, anyway, um, she's also my heroine. Also, Sabina is not just a bleeding heart. She's she's kind of you know defensive about it, and she's going to be in charge, and she's going to fix things. And the hero, of course is from family, and southeastern Ohio and southern Ohio, I think, is family is family. And he is running the mine for his late cousin who died tragically for his two children. But he actually has another totally different job. So he's doing two jobs, plus helping to raise these, these two children. So, but he doesn't think, you know, doesn't think that's odd. Uh, she's from kind of a sterile family background, and he's like, "Well, but that's family. I mean, get real here." So it's, I, you, know, you, you, that's the thing with fiction. You can set up these wonderful conflicts and make it work for you. Uh, and then it's, it's, what if, you know, what if so and so, and and it works. And so at the beginning, she's coming in for a surprise inspection because he's ignored all her phone calls. And she got directions to the mine, and it's winter. It's March. It's, ugh, you know, how March in Ohio is. And she's driving to the mine site. Sabina was grateful for the chains. The car had fishtailed several times on the way from Columbus, even though the highways appeared clear. Now, faint early morning sunlight revealed icy patches on the pavement and highlighted the stark, monochromatic beauty of the rolling of southeastern Ohio landscape. The piercing scent of thawed and refrozen earth filtered through her slightly opened window. The sights and sounds said spring, even though this morning was still winter. She was weary of fighting her way over winding, hilly, ice-splattered highways, but the Mozart flowing from her tape deck was calming. As if by instant replay, yesterday's conversation with her superior flashed through her mind. Chad Peters might be a little prickly, Sabina. He had a bad experience a year and a half ago. What do you mean, she'd asked. Brainerd, the man you replaced, offered him a favorable report without an inspection for a bribe. Righteous indignation shook her. If Peters bribed him, he's dishonest too. Peters didn't pay. Brainerd asked for the money up front, and he refused. Brainerd wrote him up for three violations without leaving the company office. He paused to relight his pipe. The fines were processed, but Calico sued. We withdrew the accusation when our investigation located a reliable witness to the offer. But that doesn't mean there aren't any infractions. 
Peter insisted on a full inspection. I did it myself. He was clean as a whistle, but plenty resentful. Said he didn't have the time to play our Mickey Mouse games. Be careful not to rile Peters. He'll be hostile, and he's got a hair-trigger temper. Sabina willed herself to relax. Chad Peters would have no reason to doubt her honesty. She intended to do a thorough job. She turned cautiously onto a narrower and less developed road, and ten minutes later sighed with relief as she parked next to a motley collection of pickup trucks and jeeps. The track was suitable only for idiots and miners. That parking area is going to look like a plowed field before the day's out, she murmured. In the distance, Sabina saw an immense off-the-road truck. Several figures stood beside a mammoth front-end loader. She parked her car and set out along a trail which was already a churned mixture of earth and snow. The path ended abruptly, just short of a slight rise. Movement in the cab of the loader drew her attention. As she watched, a tall, muscular figure sprang lightly to the ground. His hard hat dangled from one hand, and early morning sunlight danced over tousled, sun-streaked blonde hair. For the instant he looked in her direction, she felt tiny electrical currents skate across the surface of her skin. Then the tanned face turned away. Sabina shook her head to clear it, dismissing a prickle of anticipation as coffee nerves. Rough, makeshift stairs were cut into the bank. As she approached the first step, a pair of ham-sized hands closed around her waist. Seconds later, she was suspended in air, her feet dangling helplessly. Let me swing you up, little lady, said a coarse voice close to her ear. A series of vicious kicks to his shins made the giant release his hold. Ignoring the moan of pain echoing in the clear morning air, she climbed the bank, the strap of her bright yellow hard hat in one hand and her clipboard in the other. At the top, she found herself confronted by the tawny-haired worker she'd seen moments before. She met his clear, expressionless gaze with a matching lack of animation. A totally irreverent thought surfaced. His eyes were the color of country blue brewed coffee. The idiocy of the comparison nearly spawned a giggle, but the coldness in those clear eyes made her wary. That man you kicked is limping badly. The morning sun had no effect on the frost in his even tenor voice, Sabina noted before responding levelly. Maybe that will teach him to keep his hands to himself. I refuse to be pawed. She shifted her hat to her left hand and extended her right. Am I correct in assuming you're Shad Peters? I'm Sabina Hanlon from the Department of Natural Resources. His hand thrust out to grasp hers before Chad realized he'd made the gesture. Even with Jonas's warning, he felt off balance. She wasn't what he'd expected. Then surprise gave way to annoyance. Every spare minute for three days would be spent shepherding this female through his records and over the mine site, where he'd never thought a woman had any business. The scene he'd just witnessed was one reason. What both disconcerted and annoyed him was the way his whole beating being was reacting, as if it were radar, honing in on the long-awaited signal. He couldn't fathom why. The bulky coat disguised her body, while the loose hood revealed only a fine-boned, intense face and amazing blue eyes beneath winged brows. Her expression was just short of condemning, proof she wasn't feeling a corresponding response. I'm Chad Peters, he responded tersely, attempting to control his anger. I know you're a busy man, Mr. Peters, but I'm afraid you'll have to make time for me. We have a lot of ground to cover. Chad nearly smiled a reluctant salute to her direct approach. Her ruthless demolition of Bobby Russell had his grudging approval, even though he wasn't about to admit it. Still, he resented her presence and the gaping hole it would make in his tight schedule. He mentally shifted his plans for the week. You're in the driver's seat, Ms. Hanlon, but I'm pinched for time. We operate well within the law. Thank you for telling me. I'm looking forward to seeing the proof, she rejoined, matching his bluntness. I'll need your help for the next three days, then I can report your perfection as a matter of record. And off they go. <laughs> um, it, this was kind of fun. I, I always, I, I think writing is fun. Um, I'm a seat of the pants writer. Some people outline, have six or eight pages of outline for their plot, and they just start, and they just follow that. And I tried that one time, and after about the third page, I found my characters taking charge, and we were going in another direction, <laughs> and all of that was gone. So <laughs> I thought, well, we won't waste that time again. I, I always know about where, you know, I know what my ending is going to be, and I know my characters, and you have scenes. But the connecting thing, it's always fun to see what happens next, and that's, that's what's enjoyable.
questions? Yeah, I put pets in my book most of the time. This one has a Labrador named Sock, short for Socrates. <laughs> and he, he crops up here and there. He's, uh, he's a Labrador, what can I say? <laughs> They're goofy. <laughs> uh, I usually use, I use cats because I'm kind of a cat person, but. Um, I think it's an undeserved reputation. There are, some, and I'm sorry, I've read some and I think, ugh, you know, I can't deal with this. But it's different strokes for different folks, and the genre is so wide. Uh, these Avalons, uh, the premise at Avalon Books is that there is nothing in any of their books that any precocious eight-year-old could not read if they picked up a book to read it. What you are reduced to is having to have a very good story, you know, a good story with good, you know, characters. Um, so the romance itself, there's no heavy breathing in this, so to speak. Um, erotica is quite is quite popular now. Now my three books from Five Star are more warm, and there's swearing, and there's no swearing in these books. The Avalons, and they've been around for years in libraries. And the wonderful thing about selling to Avalon is once your book is in a library and on the shelf as an Avalon, it's there for years, <laughs> you know? I mean, because there, there are people, and, and you'll hear people talking, they grew up on Avalon books. Um, and I think what people forget, too, is there's an educational factor. I've, I've picked up a lot of interesting, his, particularly historical books. Uh, some of the writers are are, they're so meticulous about their research, and they don't dare mess up because people contact them and contact the publisher. This person doesn't know a thing about history, you know. Uh, so the, there's there's an educational factor, and so much is the emotional yin and yang. Um, I think go back to Mary Jo Putney's *Rake and the Reformer*. He was an alcoholic. It's a historical. And the hero is a, is a really raging alcoholic. And this housekeeper, who is a reformer, takes him in hand and helps him. Uh, it's, it's a beautifully written book. Um, so issues frequently, and emotional issues. Women are more emotional than men. Men go from A to B. B to C, I mean, so to speak. And I think women tend to meander between those two points. <laughs> Can I add to that? Yes. They've done studies that women that read romances have much better sex lives. Oh, Marcia. <laughs> it's, it's true. Aren't and you glad she came? <laughs> Yes. So it's really a reputation that comes from ignorance and fear than a deserved reputation. I, I think that Tina was correct when she said that a good story starts with a really good um, really good characters, really strong three-dimensional characters, and a very strong plot in which to develop those characters. And that's a good story regardless of the genre. So when you close yourself off from a genre because of a misconception about that genre, you're closing yourself off to a really good story. And I think that should be taken into consideration. And, and also, as Tina said, there's a wide range of subgenres within the romance genre. You have your military romance, and you have your thriller romance, and your romantic suspense, and your contemporary romance, historic. There, there are paranormals. There are. There is such a rainbow of subgenres that I'm sure you could find something that you would enjoy. I, 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 you could look up my book. <laughs> I'm sure you'd find something you would enjoy. And, and what I think people forget is that many of the really Pride and Prejudice is a romance. Now, Jane oh, yeah. Austen wrote romances. Hmm? 
Yes. That's right. Well, and people say, well, I don't read romances, but I really like Linda Howard. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I don't read romances, but I really like Shakespeare. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Oh, that's an excellent question. Paranormal romances are thing are are the basis are things that make you suspend your dis your belief. So vampires, werewolves, fairies, gods, goddesses. Um, that's oh, yeah. that's fantasy. That's, another that's not really paranormal. Would be. Well, yeah. You, you have you have your um, um, for example Anne Rice writes yes. paranormals her um, interview Resnick. with a vampire that's that's paranormal and Laura Resnick writes fantasy though well fa fantasy she does yeah. kind of back and forth but she's um, and she's heavy duty yeah. uh, well, and, and then, of course, we use time travel. Of course, the ultimate time travel is Outlander series uh, by Adam, Diana Gabaldon. Or I, Timeline, which, by the yeah. way, Timeline, that title is a typo. Timeline is really two words, yes. but that's okay. Just like Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but, but many people are reading books that I don't think they realize. <laughs> if, if it has a happy ending, it's usually a romance. Actually, I think historically, the romance uh, back in England, the troubadours would travel and they would tell romance stories and they were romances of battles and of great loves, uh, you know, and whether the love ended tragically or not, uh, those were great loves, Tristan and Isolde and, and, all, and all these wonderful things that we, we've read about and think of as quite classical, but they were considered romances. It's, the romance is something which is out of your own life. Yes, connection to another time. And now it's, and, and people read, uh, I think, ro the romance genre and uh, mysteries and um, all popular fiction. It's escapist. People read it to go someplace else. There's somebody. <laughs> uh, you, people read it for, you know, for escape. And, and I think we all, no matter how wonderful our lives may seem to someone else, everyone wants to escape it sometimes. Um, it's, it's kind of fun to get away. <laughs> and, you know, they talk about beach reads. And I think everybody's, you know, seen things advertised as beach reads. That's right. You go into the beach, you're going to read something so light and fluffy. Uh, you're going to read uh, Janet Ivanovich. You're going to read Stephanie Plum and, and laugh about Grandma Mazur. You know, um, they're just so many kinds of escapist fiction and and you can and it's very fine to be literary and to look down on them but uh, you're not having any fun if it's just literary <laughs> so I'm not gonna go there huh <laughs> oh well a friend of mine's couple a couple weeks ago, sent me this thing where you, you you go to the site. She finds these things, and you fill in, and they'll find your your soulmate for you, and they'll just describe your wedding, and you're supposed to describe, you know, the the, the ideal man. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just picking out from all these things, and they said, and then what's the name? And I wrote Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that you know, that Tom Selleck is a nice to base a hero on, <laughs> and it was funny because. I emailed her and I said, well, I lied. I said, Tom Selleck. She said, that's funny. That's who I used. <laughs> so so it, this, is, this is escape. This is just, you know, 
kill a little time, uh, be funny. Uh, if I put Pete Wittick in, gosh, nobody. I'm an ABC thinker. <laughs> yeah, that's the ABC thinker. <laughs> That's a really good question. Romance, romantic. Romantic, yeah. Mm -hmm. The language, the language is... Because other literature says, okay, the romance of adventure. Yeah. Swashbuckling. Uh -huh. There's another thing, pirate stories. Pirate. Oh, yes. Romance on the high seas. I don't know if that's love or thievery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Romances. <laughs> well, and it is, it's love that makes the world go round. So, you know, if it weren't for at least some kind of an attachment, the human race would not have reached its pleasant, present state of disorganization, I guess. <laughs> They had an option on a second one, which and which I wrote, and which they rejected. They had new editors. My editor left, and boom, well, your editor leaves. And says, Hi, I'm so and so. No kidding, we don't know you. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm still, I'm still trying to sell that mystery. I would love to do a series on that because I had, I am a peace worker or a contract worker at the Board of Elections in Fairfield County. I do the nursing home ballots. Don't ask. Um, and the director of the Board of Elections said, well, when are you going to have them have that, that mystery with, the, with the, the old lady and the cat at the Board of Elections? And, and the funny thing is, shortly after, I, I you know, mulled it and I thought, you know, I could do one. I, I can see that. <laughs> you know, I could see this cat, who is very brassy, going into the Board of Elections and playing with the new touch machines and, and causing, a, I mean, uh, yeah, they love technology. I've heard this. Yeah, so, you know, and, and, and funny things trigger things. As, you know, as Patricia said, everything, everything makes a little story start in your mind. It's a totally different time, place, and character. This this one starts out in, well, it, it takes place in Los Angeles, but On Fire takes place in Charleston, West Virginia. And I have family in Charleston, so I have very warm feelings for that city. So I wanted to, and On Fire is the first of a trilogy, so the whole thing takes place, and I'm just hoping the coal mining industry does not come after me because of the plot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So I might end up in, you know, on TV, court TV. You <laughs> want my, my strip mining rules? Oh. <laughs> Got that around. Yeah, I might have to borrow that. <laughs> so we can be expecting a trilogy yes. on fire and then... Yeah. Well, the, the second one is tentatively titled Deadline. And I don't know if you guys watch Law & Order, Homicide, Life on the Streets, but... Sometimes, do you guys watch Law and Order? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, they're three. They're three. Yeah. We know she fills in Sam Watterson instead of Tom Selleck. <laughs> criminal somehow crossing into Baltimore and that's when it would uh, start up in the episode would end in homicide life on the streets for some reason New York and Baltimore were connected in the story well for on fire I, I start the mystery and suspense but then it continues on in deadline there's a true it's a true connection it could actually be one book it's a true connection so I'm really excited about that. And Deadline has a clock. They have seven days to save these people. So I'm excited about that, too. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Another murder, death, kill. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> so, and, then, and then the whole trilogy ends with gut instinct. And that's when I really hope the coal mining industry doesn't get upset with me. The mystery series um, takes place on a fictitious Caribbean island. The hero is the uh, constable. He's an um, investigator. And the heroine is a nurse. And that story has elements. It's a mystery series, but it has elements of romance and paranormal in it, where it allows me to explore my Caribbean background, the, the culture. So it's sort of like an educational thing where you could learn about this this culture but it's a fictitious island and I'm, I'm excited about it yeah thanks to both of you for coming out on a snowy day oh thanks for having us we're delighted to be here Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to our partners at Ohioana for arranging the readings. And we do have copies of their journal and um, some other information about Ohioana Library if you'd like to pick that up on your way out. And we have to see you next week. We'll actually be here with another Ohio writer, Charlene Fix, who teaches at um, CCAD. She's going to be reading from another author. This is a neat series. No, I didn't. I mean, people did. Where does it fall? First, there's that Carol Francesca back there, and she showed up just in time to get a hug.